Ladies and gentlemen, we're here for another episode and edition of A Society of Fandoms, where we explore famous fandoms, popular fandoms, on this occasion, a horror fandom in the way of the original Friday the 13th, the movie, which was released May 9th of 1980. I am here with my co-host, Matt. What's up, Matt? Hello. Thanks for having me. This one, when we started the ideas for this show, this was definitely one that was on the top 10 list, at least for myself. I don't know about you. What better way to do it here in October and celebrate during the Halloween season, just with that general spooky feeling. As we we actually have a plan in the background, we are watching the Blu-ray version, I believe. Yeah, this is the uncut. This is actually from the, the Paramount release from 2018. The Paramount, of course, released the first eight Friday the 13th movies, so this is the the, the killer cut, uncut version of the original movie. The film was directed and produced by Sean S. Cunningham, for those of you who don't know, written by Victor Miller, and starred Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, Harry Crosby, Laurie Bartram, Mark Nelson, Janine Taylor, Robbie Morgan, and the infamous Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> You were just saying, too, that uh, you, you, for, you totally forgot that Kevin Baker was even in this movie. Yeah, it's just, it's it's one of those movies that I don't necessarily associate with Kevin Bacon. Yeah, not at all. So, it, it was really, like, you know, I went back and I, I was watching this again to do my homework for this episode, and sure as shit, there he was, Kevin Bacon. And I'm like, Jesus, what hasn't this <laughs> fucking guy been in, you know? <laughs> the music was done by Harry Manfredini. It was distributed, of course, again by Paramount Pictures, and then again uh, internationally by Warner Brothers. It runs about 95 minutes for the original uncut version, the theatrical version. The original budget was $550,000, and it estimated a box office take of about $60 million, $59.8 million. Definitely an arousing success for such an indie horror flick especially at the time as we see Crazy Ralph on screen Crazy Ralph looked like one of the guys that was in, that I grew up around in my neighborhood he was an old Italian guy they tell you you're all gonna die no uh, <laughs> <laughs> if he did he didn't do it in English that's for sure okay one of those guys <laughs> but he dressed very similarly I love the bike with the yeah. basket and everything too we used to call those milk trucks <laughs> gullible Annie here on our way to Camp Crystal Lake. I think that's a sign of the times, man. They just accept rides yeah. from strangers that aren't Ubers, you know? I think, and this is the old man in me now, you know, as I'm pushing 30 years <laughs> oh, old, <yeah>. guys. <laughs> Where no matter no matter what uh, generation we're in, uh, people tell the youth not to go somewhere, they're going to go there. 
Oh, you, yeah, you, you don't know what you're talking about. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's going to be all right. All right. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm just there to cook. So the idea of Friday the 13th was heavily inspired by, even though there's not a whole lot of similarities, it was, it was heavily inspired by the success of another movie that we, we covered on the show, uh, and that's the original Halloween film. The success of, of Halloween was basically everything that Cunningham needed to to go ahead with his idea. And although, again, they're not the same concepts, it's it's really ironic because both have become a staple in the slasher genre. And it was, it was this, again, this the success of the 1978 film that really sparked the interest, started plugging the, the movie even as recent as 1979, even though the movie didn't come out in 1980. Uh, this movie was was actually being advertised in papers all the, you know as early as nineteen seventy. I believe the summer of nineteen seventy nine. If that my date's correct, I, I just think it's really cool that. And again, this is me being talking about fandoms here. Me being the one one of the ultimate Halloween fanboys that a, a franchise was sparked. Whether he wanted to be a franchise or not, we'll get more on that later. Based off of one of my all time favorite movies. Absolutely. It- if you watch the uh, the documentary Return to Camp Crystal Lake, uh, I believe it's Victor Miller who, like, blatantly, he's just like, yeah, we just, we kind of ripped off Halloween. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's not shy about saying it either, which is fine. I mean, let's face it, that's that's nothing new in Hollywood. I mean, you, you, you get something out there that's a success, people are going to copy it in some shape or form. Right. So for those who are surprised by that, or really surprised by that, you shouldn't be. It's... It's kind of what happens in the movie industry. <laughs> <laughs> As we see Kevin Bacon on the on the screen here. Speaking, I, I thought I smelled bacon. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of Victor Miller, uh, actually, he didn't actually choose Friday the 13th. He wasn't completely on board with that name. I don't know if you knew, know this. Little little fun fact here. For those who don't know, he actually wanted to call the film Long Night at Camp Blood. Which is why Crazy Ralph in the movie still still refers to it as Camp Blood. Yeah. So, what do you think of that title over Friday the Thirteenth? Quite honestly, I was what two years old here when this movie first premiered. So, had I been older, I probably, I, I probably still would have bought into the hype, like, "Ooh, Friday the Thirteenth, what's this gonna be?" But me, me as a grown up now, I probably would have strayed away from from the movie because it's like, "Oh, wait a minute, they already did Halloween. Do we really need another?" spooky movie about a like a spooky date or, superstition you know, yeah date yeah. of superstitions so i would have i would have rather watched to go uh, wanted to go see the movie you know long night of camp blood that one that one yeah. stands out to you more yeah. it's an interesting one i, I think i want to talk about that name a little bit more as we progress on the show because i don't want to i don't want to put all of our eggs in a basket right away <laughs> um by the way that date for anyone keep a score it was at july 4th so important day here in the united states uh, 1979, and it was Variety that they took an ad out for. Full page ad for Friday, Friday Thirteenth. Again, before the movie was ever released, before they even had a script. Before they had a script, that's yeah, right. They just had an idea for a movie. <clears throat> Good idea. That's a weird idea. Good idea. Bad idea. Obviously, in hindsight, it's it didn't hurt. I think it's all about how much faith you have in, in whatever you're trying to put out there. If you, if you have that strong of a feeling and you know you can come through, then why the hell not? But if you you know if you just have the the title of a movie you want to make and you go to spend all that money on a full page ad and variety, 
and then not do shit with it or not do shit properly. Well, then, you know, that's that's on you. Now, of course, Friday the 13th is, is known for the iconic horror figure, just figure in general, movie figure in Jason Voorhees. For those who are not familiar with the this original movie, uh, spoiler alert, uh, he's not a big deal in this particular movie. He's not the, the killer in this movie in fact he wasn't even named jason originally no he wasn't (laughs) (laughs) i always find these these kinds of stories interesting so victor miller the writer he he had originally given jason Voorhees the name josh but he decided it sounded too nice and he ended up chasing changing it to jason naming it after a kid he knew in school and then that is also debated because there's also um information out there that states it was a mixture of I think two of his siblings Jay, uh, Josh and Ian okay, or something like that so uh, either way those those little uh, stories about uh, writers naming their characters it's always a little bit interesting and, and matter of fact I mean Jason so it's a big deal as far as the, the reason to why these killings are happening but he's, he's so minor of a character that you read talk about a, a 90 minute movie and he's it takes hour and sixteen minutes to even mention his name. So <laughs> you're not going to see many franchises where the the main character is barely used in the original film. I'm not saying this is the only time it's ever happened, but this doesn't happen very often. Similar, it's it's almost correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of similar to Jaws. I mean, you not quite the same way, but you know you don't see much. Yeah, I mean, the only difference is that the movie's named after right. Jaws. I mean, but yeah, you're right. It's it it's that same mentality, I guess, in, in that sense. But again, but again, it's it's that same mentality of of having it again in hindsight. Now, I mean, this is. We're talking 38 years after its release. This iconic character, and he's his name is only mentioned 14 minutes before the movie ends. <laughs> so, <laughs> what makes this a little more interesting about Jason and, and him even just being mentioned late in the movie? The filmmakers never intended to make this movie like a launching pad for the franchise that followed. And according to Victor Miller, the writer, uh, Jason Voorhees was only meant as a plot device and he wasn't even intended to continue the grisly work of his mother, which is very surprising for, for I mean, clearly this is be- obviously all these years later has become its its own beast, right. so to speak. But I never would have thought that that was the case. Just because of the way things went and all the sequels, you figure, hey, this this was the guy they were banking on all along, and come to find out that's not the case. You know, this is one of those weird things where the movie studio, I, I guess if you really think about it, got it right. Because I don't mean to rain on, on Jason's parade here, but let's, let's quickly go back to the Halloween franchise. You have the masterpiece that was 1978, John Carpenter, Deborah Hill's Halloween. Masterpiece. Absolute masterpiece. And then it's, well, you know, let's continue Michael Myers' storyline. And then you get Halloween 2, and they, you know, they explain Laurie Strode as the sister of Halloween, or Halloween, Michael Myers. So, okay, now it's a matter of he just really hates his family. The third one happens, of course. And then you have 4, 5, and 6, where it's, we're going to do this whole cult thing, and 
then we're going to get rid of that and we're going to bring Lori back and this and that. And it just seems so screwed up that if they would have just left it alone as its own entity, yeah, you wouldn't have as many Michael movies, but you wouldn't have such a crazy screwed up storyline that really makes no sense. You got solid movies in between. I'm not saying they're all terrible, but the storyline is just... It, it, it's, it's all over it's the, all over the place. place. Yeah. You know, here we have Pamela Voorhees avenging her, her son's death by drowning, who drowned in the negligence of the camp counselors, or so she claims. <laughs> Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. His name was Jason. As we about to see Pamela do her first kill in, uh, at least in 1979, as far as the movie's concerned. You have Pamela do the, the killing. You have Jason barely mentioned. Yeah, he shows up at the end. No, the spoiler alert there. Uh, and we'll talk definitely talk more about that later. But you have that idea of continuing on as a, as a as a franchise this time with Jason. And at first, it's just I, I agree. I agree with Sean Cunningham. It's stupid. It, it's a really <laughs> stupid idea because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And you know, it's just this is basically a zombie coming back. By the way, zombie that grows up too. How many yeah. times does that happen? Well, I mean, it's lake water. Isn't that what happens when you get submerged in lake water I, for ages? <laughs> I guess. So He's like one of those little dinosaurs that you buy. They're like dehydrated. Oh, yeah, yeah. You I just leave them about. in water and they just grow they exponentially. Yeah. yeah, that's... Or they barely grow. Or they barely they're grow. They're supposed to grow. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it, like... You know, so many people can... I, I've heard say, you know, he, he, he really, really dropped the ball on that one. But you gotta look at it from from his his perspective at that point in time. You tell a story, and then we're gonna tweak it in this way. I I don't see how it could work. I, I would agree with, with with Cunningham on that one. And obviously, I'm wrong because you turned it around and did this, and you made a franchise out of it. It's it's crazy. It's it's really one of those weird ways that. The movie studios got it right, and they probably didn't get it right because of the, they're smart. They got it right because it's it's just the right place, right time to have. You're talking about the '80s, the early '80s. That was the perfect time to introduce this monster, this slashing, the slasher monster, Jason Voorhees. If they were to try that today, I, I think they'd be called out on their shit right away. Maybe I'll say maybe because there are clearly uh, iconic horror monsters or or just bad guys or you know evil entities in general these days that still get that same treatment and are you know still have some some success in this day and age i know they're uh, few and far between but you know this isn't the 80s and this isn't the same the horror the horror genre isn't the same beast it was back then true the movie was filmed at camp nobi Bosco in New Jersey. Camp is still in operation. It's go a function. Yeah, it's a function. It yeah, go check it out. It's a functioning camp. It actually has a wall of paraphernalia from the movie to honor the movie that was that was filmed there. They were only allowed to use the camp after making a sizable donation to the Boy Scouts of America because it is a Boy Scouts camp. Fair enough. Most of the crew and several of the cast members also lived in the camp's cabins while filming the movie. That had to be pretty interesting. I was gonna say, yeah, I was gonna say, um, I don't know how I'd feel about that. 
Maybe because there's some things where I, I can be a little... <laughs> things go bump in the night. Yeah, I, I don't know. I know it's a movie set, but still, I'm I'm not a I'm not a big outdoorsy guy. That I mean, that too. I mean, I I will if I I will if I have to be, but it's not something I jump at the, the chance at. Every once in a while, like I'll need some peace and quiet, but but yeah, for the most part, no. As we look at the the snake, the snake that they have in the cabin, that was actually a real snake. That was not in the script, and it was Tom Savini's idea to use the snake to further differentiate themselves from uh, the Halloween movie with this kind of a scare. And the entire time this was being filmed, the owner of the snake was on set, basically bawling their eyes out because their snake actually gets killed. That's a real snake that gets killed. Peter was not there to protest or represent the snake, so the snake dies. My 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 one question for that is: if you're the owner of the snake and you're on you're bawling your eyes out, why are you letting them kill your snake? Either that or it's got a very short clone. Well, at least we know what's for dinner. Oh, oh. oh. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't get that either. Like, you care about the snake, so say no thanks. Exactly. But as we see it, it there, boom. That's, what's it do, one, two, three chops? Two chops that we, we see at the very least, maybe three. It's one of those, um, I don't know when, when PETA started taking effect in movie or at least any animal rights activist, but yeah, this this wasn't super uncommon, especially in, right. in horror movies. Well, yeah, yeah. Obviously today, that's it's more than just taboo. I mean, there's, I, I would assume in, in most countries, it's the, 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 the legalities of, of it is, it's a no-go, can't Spe- do it. Speaking of things that don't, don't age well, we see one of the camp counselors walking around with an Indian headdress, acting uh, very old, old Hollywood, stereotypical Indian. Yeah, the only thing he doesn't have is red skin. Yeah. We still can't get over Kevin Bacon. Yeah, here he is trying to smooth over things with the cop that comes into town, which also wasn't in the script. They wanted the kids to be in a very remote place where local law enforcement wouldn't be able to get to them. They, they wanted no main roads to the camp or anything like that to be in the script. They wanted they wanted that, that sense of hopelessness and, and dread to come over the audience because these kids were not going to be saved by the local law enforcement and, and have no chance at that. So when this cop shows up, again, Sean Cunningham not happy that this is in the script now and that it's being filmed. And the cop was like a super dick. I didn't know this too, but uh, there's a real summer camp named Camp Crystal Lake. It's, it's located near Stark, Florida. You ever been to Stark, Florida? Never, never heard of it. No? I know there's a Crystal Lake in Illinois. I don't know, there's no camp, though. Right, yeah. <laughs> you get one or, one or the other, not both. Yeah. So, again, they filmed this at a camp in New Jersey, a real camp. And a lot of the shooting grounds were, or shooting locations were shot in and around the townships of Hardwick, Blairstown, and Hope, New Jersey, around September of 1979. Again, this is a Boy Scout camp, which I still I still find that <laughs> I still find that fascinating as we see crazy Ralph come out of the food the food pantry. You're all doomed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. This place is cursed. Cursed. It's got a death curse. Who are you? What do you want? God sent me. Get out of here, man. I got to warn you. You're doomed if you stay. Go. Go. I think we just met Ralph. God, what's next? I think he was the scariest part of the movie for me. Well, I mean, he's that he's meant to be that red red herring, and yeah. you know, you're supposed to believe that he's probably the one doing all the bad shit. For me, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's scary, but even back the first time I watched this, I was like, that guy's not the killer. There's no fucking way. He's <laughs> he's too he's too goofy. He's the crazy old coot. Yeah, he's he's like the wrong kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this was this was done around those townships and. Believe it or not, there's a township named Voorhees in New Jersey, and it's about eight miles away from Haddonfield, New Jersey, which was the inspiration for the fictional town used in John Carpenter's Halloween. I mean, come on, like that's that's too much of a coincidence. That's, there, that's serendipity right there, man. <laughs> and the the camp that they actually used, they had to do very little set building. As as far as I know, the only thing that they had to build was the toilet for that particular scene and that's it so they got off cheap in the way of set production yeah if you if you certainly if you're on a budget that's that's the way to do it oh yeah no building necessary very little building very little building killing other people's snakes i mean (laughs) i I just still don't get that Well, it's like in, uh, uh, what is that, Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Where they rip apart the turtle. Like, there's no fucking reason for it. But they were just like, yeah, let's do it because it's gruesome. Yeah, it's a cool idea. Yeah. But still, I mean, just the owner. The, the, they're just, just being there. Just like, being there. Sobbing over Yeah, here. like, oh, boo-hoo. It, get, it, get in the fucking... It, I mean, well, in, unless Tom... Yeah, kill my snake. Yeah, unless Tom Savini was like, hey, can I borrow your snake? And then just, like, went and did it, but... Oh, the, the heads are rolling, then. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, right, right. Tom Savini, you're going to be in the next scene. <laughs> Staying on the... Uh, there's another quick quick little, little tidbit here for you guys. Staying on the whole Crystal Lake theme... Uh, Betsy Palmer again. She plays Pamela Voorhees in this in this movie. Years before this movie was even thought of, she actually spent summers growing up at Crystal Lake in Warsaw, Indiana. So another one of those weird coincidences that yeah, exists. Yeah, I've been I've been in, to Indiana, and, and let me tell you, certain parts of it are very fucking spooky. Yeah, all of it. <laughs> all the borders and everything in between. <laughs> the- you know the old saying, there's more than corn in Indiana. Well, you're you're damn right. Betsy Palmer here, this is her first her first role since uh, 1959's, what was that? I'm trying to think of the name of that movie. It wasn't 12 Angry Men, was it? What was it? It was The Last Angry Man. The Last Angry Man, there you go. So yeah, this is her first role in 20, like 20 years, give she, or take. She was in a... In a television film, I'm reading here. I don't know much about Betsy Palmer, so these aren't facts that I know. Uh, <laughs> a punt, a pass, and a prayer. It's a television film. It sounds so, like a television film. Yeah, it sounds. <laughs> yeah, it was like Lifetime before Lifetime existed. 
<laughs> but as far as theatrical, yeah, absolutely. That was that was the first role. Which is weird because this is a year after the events took place initially in the movie, 1958. One of those, again, weird coincidences. And traditionally, she's a, she's a method actress. And so she wanted to give the character of Pamela Voorhees a backstory somewhat full of detail so she remembers she recalls a class ring she used that as her inspiration to start building details about her character and she came up with Miss Voorhees being a proponent of sexual transgression and because she had Jason Voorhees out of wedlock with her high school boyfriend and her parents ultimately disowned her for it it, you know, it was one of those things that, simply put, you know, good girls didn't do. They didn't have ch- children out of wedlock, at least in her experiences. You know, obviously, our our life and times are a little bit different, but back then, that was that was pretty much consensus. That was something wrong, something you shouldn't shouldn't be doing. Not just having you know crazy teenager sex, but also having children out of wedlock. That kind of adds so much to what we talked about before on the the concept of the things you shouldn't do in horror movies and obviously sex especially teenage sex is is a no-no it's a no-no but it it really kind of adds to that whole to that whole idea and in, in the fact that now you you're talking about you know the consequences of it all I, I i look at betty palmer and i gotta imagine especially in, in the early stages she probably had to have been a little bit of a of a handful to deal with ah but, i see what you did there <laughs> <laughs> i try my best <laughs> so you know they hire betsy palmer to do this and she is a method actress and she's just used to doing things a certain way so when they told her to slap Alice around a few times, she actually cupped her hand, laid the smack down on Alice a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> Director and producer Sean Cunningham had to basically halt production, be like, hey, look, there's no need for that. You don't need to physically beat on her to get the rise out of her. The, the way that, I, I think it was Betsy that, that Betsy herself that, that talked about it, it, the way that Sean Cunningham t- said it to her, it was like talking to a child, like, no, Betsy, we don't slap people on, in movies. <laughs> you know, we fake it, and it's it was it was so funny. Like, I can't remember who, who was telling that story, but I think it was Betsy Palmer. So, And it was so funny because he was, like, talking to her like, like a child. It was really great. <laughs> but imagine going to work and, you know, oh, let's do the scene, and she slapped the shit out of you. <laughs> You know, that just goes to show you the the generational gap in Hollywood, you know? I mean, what you're two completely different generations of people. Yeah. And yeah, I bet I bet she wasn't expecting to be fucking not knocked around during during the filming, that's for sure. I'm, I bet they're glad that they they ended up employing her, Betsy Palmer, because towards the end of the movie, she she's explaining about how her killing spree came on the anniversary of Jason's birthday. You know, of course he died. She never specifies the date, and it's they almost forgot to even mention literally Friday the Thirteenth in the film at all. And then between her and Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller, they basically were like, "Hey, you know, we can't call this Friday the Thirteenth as cool as the title may be, but." You know, you just you can't just call it that and not have a reference to it. So they actually take time out and devise it so that at one point one of the side characters exclaims, "Oh, it's a full moon and a Friday the 13th." I don't make movies, <laughs> and I don't claim to be an expert, but 
I would think that's kind of like fucking one on one right there. Like, how do you forget something that simple? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big uh, almost oops moment right there. Before we started recording the episode, we uh, <laughs> we're sitting here, we're watching the first the first two kids get caught fooling around and end up getting killed. And I was remarking to Matt about the looks on their faces. All the actors that got cast were more or less theater brats, even Kevin Bacon. I was telling Matt like it's kind of weird at their facial expressions right after they get caught because to me they should have like their faces shouldn't have been so okay with dying well, yeah i mean i mean being stabbed uh, originally i had said you know if, if they were being caught by jason Voorhees, you would have you would have wanted him them to have a little more shock and awe Especially since he's supposed to be a deformed character. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's the mother. Even though there's not, like, she doesn't have the deformity or anything like that, she's clearly wielding a weapon. Right. You know, there's there's no, there's no none of that shock and awe on their face. They're just, like, trying to cover up because they got caught ha- about to have sex. Right. So... That I didn't get, but uh, Sean Sean Cunningham, when he when he hired all these quote unquote theater brats, he he was quoted as saying that the type of characters, the type of actors, excuse me, that he sought for the film were good looking kids who might who you might see in a Pepsi commercial, and that's a, that's immediately what I thought of when when I was looking at them getting caught. It was like, wait a minute, it's like they don't know how to not be wholesome. You know, like they know every, they know, they don't know how to do anything but be wholesome even when they get caught having sex and are about to die. Have you ever gotten caught? About to die? About to have, <laughs> or about to have sex. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, on numerous occasions. I used to live with my parents, so. Okay. You know. I got caught, uh, my first time. On your first? On my first time. Oh, that's yeah. brutal. I got chased out of the house with a broken whiskey bottle. Ah, so it wasn't your house. No, it was the girl's house. I got you. <laughs> now, you, you know, you know who caught me the the most, and I didn't get caught like, all the time. And again, and this was, to be fair, I was, I was of age or of age, I guess, of a reasonable age. I was actually age time was in my twenties, but uh, again, I lived in my my parents' house, and at the time, I was living in their basement. And even though I closed the door, nobody th- ever thought about knocking. That's all. Oh, well, oh, of course it, not. It's you're, a basement. It's a basement. You're yeah. at, you're at the family house. We do whatever we want to yeah, do. We do what you, we want to do. So it's like, all right, well, you know, you know, I like to walk around naked a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> have at it, whatever. But it was, you know, thankfully, and I guess as a as a as a guy, it's certainly a lot a lot less awkward than uh, dealing it with if it was with your dad because it's one of those like, hey, he's getting some, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Than your mom, where she's fucking freaking out about you know being safe and all that other bullshit, and then she looks like Pamela Voorhees. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad I don't have that problem anymore. It's, it's just awkward. Editing of this film lasted ten weeks, but they shot it in twenty eight days. Overall production, looking back now, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about knowing that they accomplished this movie in, in about a month? Filming it in a month? Filming it in a month. Yeah, uh, filming it in a month and then, and then editing in 10 weeks. All that is is, is very impressive. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something. I mean, just, just doing... You and I do a lot of a lot of podcasting. This is just vocal. <laughs> you know, we're not talking about filming scenes. Editing sucks. 
Yeah. There's there's not a whole lot of fun about it's, editing. It's tedious work, folks. Yeah, it's it's let's put it nicely I mean there's not a better word for it but if there was a more uh, I guess derogatory word to put it yeah it, I would say it's, <laughs> it's beyond tedious so to do an entire movie I, I I would like to know like how much film they actually had too because that goes along you know along in, into it and cutting it down to an hour and a half but the the film something like that in, in 28 days especially a, a film that used a little bit of of the the natural elements that you can't necessarily control especially on a low budget movie like this yeah very true you know that's that's definitely that's very impressive that you're able to do it in a, in a month span so kudos to them man that's that's really good now, most of the cast and crew stayed at local hotels during the filming some of the members including tom savini stayed at the actual campsite and all they had to entertain themselves was tom savini's betamax vcr all the only two movies that they had were Barbarella and Marathon Man on videotape. And so each night they would watch one one or the other to, to kind of help pass the time. To this day, Tom Savini can recite those movies, like, by heart. <laughs> you ever watch the original Barbarella? I have not. Uh, they're supposedly remaking it. Okay. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Robert Rodriguez has been working on it for quite some time. I'm interested. Yeah. I've actually never seen either one of those movies. Looks like you got some movie watching to do. Yeah. <laughs> you recommend both? Definitely Barbarella. I don't know how I feel about Marathon Man. Okay. I mean, none of the crew could, like, go to, like, a video store and grab more VHS. Well, <laughs> think about it. This is 1979. I don't, I don't know that they... I mean, they were, kind of, they were kind of remote anyway, but I don't know. I don't know how... Somebody... I mean, they're, they're in town go at the hotels. They're, well, some of the crew is, not yeah. all the crew, but yeah, I suppose. Somebody could have hooked them up. There could have been something, yeah. <laughs> now you guys are just being mean. <laughs> Making me watch two movies over and over again. Another tidbit about the cast and crew here, you have Harry Crosby, who played Bill in this movie, is the actual son of legendary crooner Bing Crosby. This, this is actually, this whole situation with him being in the movie fueled the, the mythology of, of this project, if you will, to the point where people were making comparisons about, first of all, Friday the 13th ripping off Halloween or borrowing a lot of elements from Halloween down to the point of, hey, we're going to enlist a celebrity's offspring as one of the characters in the movie, or actors in the movie. Mm -hmm. Just like Halloween did Jamie Lee Curtis. That, you know, her parents, obviously Hollywood royalty at right. one point. So, But that wasn't the case with Harry Crosby. Harry Crosby was actually trying to make it on his own as an actor without the help of his father's name. So, a little bit different, but it, it ended up fueling that fire of, of hearsay and rumor to, to add to the, the battle between what franchise was better over the years. Funny, funny little thing about Harry Crosby, when they released the movie on home video in the UK... There was a printing error in the first run of the VHS sleeve, and they misspelled his name, Crosby, like leaving out the B, more or less. So, and if I'm not mistaken, that's a collector's item these days. Not only because it's retired media, but if you have one of the ones that have have his misspelled name, it's it's rarer than the rest of the run. So, going back to the cast, or sticking with the cast, and going back to Pamela Voorhees, we mentioned earlier about Betsy Palmer. Most know, most most like 
diehard fans know at this point that she wanted no part of this movie when when it first came her way. <laughs> she she that seems to be the idea across the board with a lot of people they asked. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Penelope Ford also, because she was, I think she had just come off of an Oscar nomination. For what movie, I don't remember, but they were like, yeah, we'll we'll have you, and and we'll have you in the movie, and then everybody will expect you to live because you're you're a famous actress and you're up for an Oscar, but then we're going to fucking kill you anyway. <laughs> and at first, she was, she was like, yeah, cool, I'll do it, and then she backed out of it. So people just didn't didn't want anything to do they, with this movie. They they saw it, she saw it, this Betsy Palmer particularly saw it you know, as garbage, didn't want it. For those of you who don't know, she actually took this role so she could buy a new car. It was damn near 20 years between theatrical movie gigs, yeah. yeah. I, I think I think it's a, it's about due for some new wheels. So according to Palmer says, if I hadn't needed uh, a, a car, I don't think I would have done Friday the 13th. This wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Lady needed a car. She needed, she needed a new car. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have it directly in front of me right now, but I think she was making about a grand a day. Yeah, she, she she was there. She filmed 10 days. She got paid a grand a day. So it's so, 10 Gs right there yeah, for a new there, car. There's her car. Now I'm curious as to what she bought. I'm, yeah, I, I like to know. <laughs> her, Friday, her infamous Friday 13th car. But, you know, I, I give all the credit to, to Betsy Palmer because it wasn't something that she did. Obviously, horror during her heyday was pretty much brand new. Yeah, and, and, I mean, and, and I think, mean, think about it too. It was nothing like this. A lot of it was yeah, sci-fi. Yeah, I mean, I know you. You know, you go back to the '30s with the Boris Karloff days and all that stuff. But again, slasher, yeah. especially, was pretty brand new still. So I, I can understand. Say, hey, maybe this isn't for me. This definitely isn't for me. But you know, the money, money talks. I understand her issue of not wanting to do it because it, to it's it's garbage. In her her words, not mine. What I respect about Betsy is that she's really embraced, or really embraced during her time here, the, the horror community as, as what it is, where some kind of just do it, take the dough, and then say, I still don't get it. I don't get it at all. <laughs> it's a different genre of, 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 of movies for everybody. I get that. But she kind of just took, like, she continued to take that role even when she wasn't getting paid a grand a day to do it. So... I I'm glad that uh, it got the role. She got the role for it because it really she really played the overbearing, crazy, vengeful mother extremely well. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> absolutely. And you know her her coming from a different generation of Hollywood. You know, walking into not just this project, but think about it, genre mates, if you will. Uh, you know, you've got Texas Chainsaw Massacre coming out in '74. Yeah, and then you've got uh, Race with the Devil '75, you've got Halloween in '78. So those are three, three top horror flicks of their day. Let's face it, they're pro- at this point they've got to be the only thing close to mainstream for the genre at the time. Yeah, and when I say genre, I mean not just horror, but like specifically slasher or slasher esque. Right. So you you have to take that into consideration, and then and she's coming from '50s Hollywood. Right. And she's like, you know, what the fuck am I doing, you know, <laughs> other than trying to buy a car? I mean, at this point, yeah, it, it's if I'm if you can put it yourself in her in her shoe in your her shoes in her mindset, it's got to be like doing smut films at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's got to be absolutely. It, it's got to be. You, she had to have been that actress that felt very legitimate, and then like, wait a minute, 
I'm gonna do this shit? Like, okay. <laughs> Where's my career gone? <laughs> I just hope she got what, what the car was worth. <laughs> yeah, I, she wasn't cast right away when when filming began. Just like uh, it's another another thing, another another example of how it's close to Halloween. The killer, in this case, Pamela Voorhees, was played by multiple people. They they didn't have Betsy Palmer right away. So they use crew members as the hands of Pamela Voorhees. <laughs> uh, for example, the first kill, as far as the 70s are concerned, which was Annie, was killed by one of the special effects assistants. The, just the hands part. And they're, and they're, you can clearly tell they're man hands. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I, even to this day, I don't know very, very many females who have man hands, so... But yeah, they look like man hands. Well, it's like it's like with when Deborah Hill played uh, <laughs> Michael Myers, and it's like well manicured hands. <laughs> Again, when you're low budget and and you you need uh, you need an actress at this point, you gotta do what you gotta do. Do what you gotta do, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, that's a that's just a little funny story for you right there. Going back to Harry Crosby here and the. The rumors that surrounded the project with with him and using his dad's name and things of that nature, and the producers trying to capitalize off of him being a Crosby, they didn't even realize that they could have used that in their mark initially. Like they they realized it way too late, obviously. But we're we're in the day and age of of everything being condensed and mashed up and things of that nature. You have you have mashups of all kinds these days, whether it be movies or music or what have you. And we have already. Come to witness a Freddy versus Jason film, I always thought it would be interesting to kind of go the way of Scream, where they had the one sequel where the killer was real. He, you know, he he was not part of a movie, and they were like spoofing themselves. And he was in the rea- in our reality now, and he was killing the actors and actresses one by one. I always thought that would have been an interesting take on a mashup horror film between Michael Myers and Jason, to where you would have Jamie Lee Curtis and Harry Crosby as actor and actress be stalked by their fictitious slasher killers. <laughs> Obviously, it hasn't happened yet, at least of the, at, at least up until this recording. But uh, I'm I'm always I'm always I've always been chomping at the bit for other Jason mashups. I know for a while there, before Freddy vs. Jason, there was also talk of Freddy vs. Jason versus Ash from Evil Dead. You know, scripts like that that have floated around Hollywood for fucking what seems like decades now. How about you? You ever want Jason Voorhees or, or Pamela Voorhees to uh, be included in, in other universes? I'm a huge fan of, of shared universes. Obviously, the, the cliche remark is if handled properly. <laughs> I think that goes without saying. But yeah, I... I totally would love to see a, a world, at the very least, in which we we can say Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers existed. I mean, certainly, you know, you, you have all those strange coincidences, coincidences regarding the two films. Obviously, Victor Miller would have you, would, would tell you that that's well, not a coincidence, it's, 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 a, it's a blatant ripoff in, in this sense. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine, whatever. But yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it, it totally would have worked. Although I, I say that, you know, here we are in 2018, uh, on the verge of, of a Halloween, new Halloween movie being released. I I, I think those days have, have come and gone. I, I don't know if we'll ever get that. 
movie. If if they if they were to continue on, I would love to see that. I mean, at this point, who cares about the contingency of, of the, the storylines? They've always contradicted themselves to begin anyway, with. Anyway, right? So why not? <laughs> that I don't know. That that'd be really cool to see. Honestly, I would love to see another Jason Freddy opportunity. Just handled by a better studio this time better better writing better directing it just i think it, it well, failed on so many so many levels and, and it really had all the potential i agree and you know what i think that this was one of those fantasy projects that let's face it it, it was a it was a first attempt and there's definitely room for improvement for those of you who don't know as far as freddy and jason are concerned the original friday the 13th and all of the sequels except for the friday the 13th that came out in 2009 the remake yeah, the remake, they all take place within the same universe as the Nightmare on Elm Street film. So there's still quite a bit of room for potential in, in scripts and, and utilizing some of those past ideas to, to go back on and, and build off of. Do you know off the top of your head who owns, what studio owns the rights to these franchises? Does this new line still own Friday the 13th as far as any future projects? Or is that back to Paramount? I don't remember. That's why I'm asking. I, I don't. don't remember, and in, in the I know the last the last thing I remember hearing about Friday the Thirteenth. Unfortunately, well, maybe maybe unfortunately, depending on if you're a fan of him or not. But I believe Michael Bay mm-hmm. and his Platinum Dunes owns the rights to Friday the Thirteenth at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get too much in Michael Bay, <laughs> but I, I I do know. I do know that there was concepts thrown around. I don't know if it's from his mouth or not, but a first-person Friday the 13th movie, a Friday the 13th movie where it's pretty much like a uh, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch situation where it's Friday the 13th, but Jason Voorhees is not actually in the movie. I've heard that being thrown around again. I don't can't confirm that's from Michael Bay's mouth or not, but knowing the demon that is Michael Bay... That's a really good shot that it was him. I well, I heard as far as the first person goes, I heard that that was not his idea. But okay. The moment he heard about it, that was one reason he was like, "Yes, I need this. I need these rights." Okay. So there's that. He's still on board with it. He was at least. Yeah. And no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I agree. No, thank you. I didn't hate the remake. No, I didn't either. I didn't hate. I I, I don't know what it is about remakes nowadays, but they get butchered, man. They get, they get well, you know, Think about it. Hollywood in general these days is very regurgitated. I mean, they get butchered by by the fans. Oh, well, that too. Everybody yeah. is. Uh, <laughs> everybody's a critic. I just, I hate, I hate those. I don't use the term fanboys, but fanboys that just can't let go of the fact that thing, things can change. No one's ever going to take away the original. I mean, it's, it's there. No one's ever going to take away. The Kane Hodder, Jason Voorhees. I mean, that's everyone's favorite. Yeah, that's everyone's Jason, favorite. Or most people's favorite. But um, the same way that no one's going to take away uh, Robert England as, as Freddy Krueger. But times change. If you know, it's it's okay to to move forward with them so long as you can make it work. I didn't hate the Friday th- or the sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street remake, and I know I'm at the in the minority in that one. And some people are really going to have a problem with me saying I liked it, but whatever. No, I, I come at me. I guess. I, yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with that that remake either. So I I think that you're always going to run into that problem if you ever do a mashup movie. It's you're going to have that uproar. It's, oh, this is this is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Ladies and gentlemen, they're slasher movies. 
Speaking of uh, people who can't let shit go and, and don't like these movies, the legendary movie critic Gene Siskel of... That guy. Or I, I'm sorry, it wasn't Gene Siskel, it was Robert Ebert actually. Robert Ebert of Siskel and Ebert had definitely given this movie a scathing review. <coughs> Thought of it as absolute dog shit. He was so upset at Betsy Palmer. It was like, to him, yeah. to him it was like a fall from grace for her. And he couldn't imagine like why she would do the movie to begin with. He got so pissed off at her that he actually published her home address in his magazine. And, and told people to like, hey, write to her and like, give her the fucking business. That seems really dangerous. It, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, obviously it's a different, a different time back then. But still, yeah, that's, that's not necessarily a smart idea. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you you you're upset at her, here, here's where she lives. <laughs> and actually, uh, that that hatred actually backfired on on those on those two critics. Gene Sisko hated the movie so much that he actually gave away the ending in his review. He did, and <laughs> and they it still it still sparked interest in the movie. It made people go see it even more, which I think that's pretty commonplace for horror movies. Yeah, especially when it comes to a, a pair like Siskel and Ebert. I mean, obviously, they're not around anymore, but right. anytime you, I think you have major press where everybody's like, oh, this movie was fucking horrible, it, immediately you're going to get that crowd like, oh, how horrible is it? Let's go watch it. Well, you know, you and I, you and I, you and I personally, we, we team up, for those who don't know, on a another podcast called 20 by 20 Wrestling Crew. Check us out at 20x20crew.com. Please, Please. do so. Had to plug our own show on another <laughs> show. But... We say it in the wrestling business, there's no such thing as bad heat. So True. here it is. You're publicizing the movie, and obviously you're in an uproar. You, it, you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I thought the movie sucked or whatever. Bad review. But obviously you're in an uproar about it. So if you have so much passion, whether it's for good or bad, well, that's just going to spark interest. What are these guys bubbling about? It would spark Let's my interest. Yeah, like, hey, he's pretty pissed off. What's <laughs> going on? You know. So they, their their hatred for the movie totally backfired, uh, as far as what they were trying to convey to the audience. Don't go see this movie. Well, now I gotta see it. So <laughs> that seems to be a common thing for those guys. I I didn't grow up with uh, with Cisco per se. Um, it was Richard Roper. Roper. That was, yeah. and he's he's another guy that I I mean, very good. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I know he gets paid for it, <laughs> but it's just like, dude. Obviously, anything most movies that he hated, I actually loved. So, yeah. you know, those Chicago critics. I'm telling you. <laughs> so you have critics in an uproar. You have people going to see this movie, and now looking back at the overall franchise, that all, with all the sequels and whatnot. This is the only movie in the series that actually takes place on a Friday the 13th. For you, as a fan of the franchise, I know I, how I feel about this. I want to hear your opinion. If that were to change and every movie had to have a spot where it was on Friday the 13th, how does that change the impact of these movies on, on you? Do they become less effective, less potent? Do they become cheesy? Do they, be, do they become 
that much more frightening? What kind of effect do you think it has? I, I'm probably going to have an unpopular opinion on this because because <laughs> I'm going to put way too much emphasis on the spirits that is Jason Voorhees or whatever the fuck you want to call him. I don't know what he is. I feel having it on Friday the 13th, potentially his anniversary, seeing that it takes place during times that you would be killing counselors at a summer camp, I think that has more of a positive effect and it makes a hell of a lot more sense in, in story storytelling if you had it to where it's that time of year again compared to just oh willy-nilly I, I know later on in the series it doesn't really matter anymore it's not the traditional killing camp counselors so i get that part but especially in the i'm going based on the beginning when you start you first pitch that idea if i'm sean cunningham and you pitch that idea like hey we're gonna go forward with the series and jason's the killer and then you explain it to me I would probably be a little bit more on board if we had the anniversary situation than saying, well, we're just doing it. I, and again, I know as as the series progressed, it doesn't really matter at all. So it's kind of like a yes and no. But it, I'm talking about in just in the beginning when you pitch that idea and you go forward part two. Because part two makes no sense story-wise. But it's like that to me... That fits a lot more than just having a random aged zombie Jason or whatever you want to call him. Just, oh, now I'm going to kill more people. It's become one of those weird, weird situations uh, where you have the title of your movie synonymous with your character, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. You know? Like, you can mention Halloween and Michael Myers. That franchise still makes sense. You have A Neighbor on Elm Street and Freddy Krueger. That franchise still makes sense. You mentioned Jason Voorhees and Friday the 13th. Yeah, they're synonymous with one another. But truly, it doesn't make sense. You know, if we're following logic here, the movies just should be called Jason Voorhees. Yeah. You know, or Jason Voorhees Strikes Again. You know, Jason Voorhees, the new beginning. You know, Jason Voorhees, the final chapter. That would make much more sense, not Friday the 13th. I think calling yourself Friday the 13th really puts you in that corner of, of well, again, what does that mean for the for an actual series? You know, Halloween takes place on Halloween. Like that's That, that day is synonymous with that, that franchise. Not the same thing with, with this movie. No, you know, not at all. At all. <laughs> And and again, Friday Thirteenth is why why Friday Thirteenth? What's what's so scary about Friday Thirteenth? Because traditionally, it's not necessarily a scary day. It's a day of superstition, of course, but it's not like a, a, a legitimate horror kind of a day. No, not no, not at least not in this sense. Yeah. Do you have any Do you have any anecdotes, personal anecdotes about things happening to you on Friday the Thirteenth? You know, I'm I have more boring things I about about me on, on Friday 13th. I think the worst that ever happened to me was, and this is just me being a teenager and being a bad driver, Okay. backing out of a store parking lot and getting hit from the back and, you know, took care of all that and everything. I pull out and before I could pull out and you have the part where there's cross traffic, I didn't see anybody coming, pull out and I get hit again in the same parking lot. Holy shit. Back to back. <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> Back to back, so again, more. I have you know your typical bad days, one of those things. Nothing to really like talk about, but I, I thankfully, because again, I I do believe in superstitions. I was raised that way. Other than that, no. My my mother, who was born on October thirteenth, was born on a Friday. Interesting. That was yeah. That that's always been interesting. So we get to celebrate Friday thirteenth 
every few years or so. Cue Jimi Hendrix, Born Under a Bad Sign. That should start playing right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, what about you? You got any? I know, uh, actually, I know you do, but... I, I oh. do, and, and for me, the, this was this was the only, the only one that really matters, because this was the doozy, and then this is why I was so superstitious for such a long time. I was, I was about to become a sophomore in high school, or no, I, yeah, I take that back, I was, I was about to become a junior in high school, and we were, it was me, my best friend at the time, and my cousin, who's also named Jason, <laughs> we were, it was after school, we were in our neighborhood, and right across the street from my house was my grade school. If if I came out of my apartment, made a left, and then another left, there was a corner store. We would always go to that same corner store for like chips and pop and stuff. And we would always like walk around the block or walk around the neighborhood because you could do that back then <laughs> and not have to worry about too much shit. Back in those days. Back yeah, back in the day. <laughs> but. Uh, so we, the three of us end up hooking up, it's after school, and we decide, hey, we're just going to hang out and kind of give the neighborhood a walk, and so the, our first stop is that corner store. We get there, and we're buying, and I, I believe my best friend at the time was still addicted to honey buns. You know, I bought my bottle of pop and some chips or whatever, and you know, my cousin got his candy, and we're exiting the corner store, and when you exit the, when you go in and out of the door, there's this big cement stoop. That had to be like a foot and a half off the ground. And out of nowhere, this fucking black cat. Well, not completely black. There was one small spot on it that was white. But other than that, it was jet fucking black. Comes out of nowhere, trips my best friend, and he rolls his ankle. To the point where like, we had to stop walking and figure out, like, shit, are we helping him limp back home? Like, what's going on? So he decides to give him a couple minutes. He kind of, you know, twerks it back together, and, and he's, he's going to be okay. He's a little sore, but he's okay. So we continue around the block, and as we're walking, we are on, we're a kitty corner on the block to that corner store. So we get to that point, and there's a set of bushes that share the corner of that block. It belonged to one of the properties. And we get near the bushes, and they were about knee-high for me, so maybe about two feet high, maybe three feet high. We get close to them, and wouldn't you know it, the same fucking cat comes out of the bushes and runs across the street underneath a tow truck. It's like, okay, this stupid fucking cat is here again trying to get in our way. And, you know, we even gave my best friend shit at the time. Like, oh, you better be careful. Your other ankle's going to get rolled. And no sooner did we start kidding around with him that the tow truck that was, first it was parked there, it was running, and it had a car hooked up to it, okay? Now, I don't know if that car belonged to the resident that was there, that it was parked in front of or what have you, but that's what it was doing. It was just sitting there idling. It caught on fire (laughs) from, from underneath the hood. And, and yeah, it wasn't like going, it wasn't exploding or anything, but like there was calmly their fire started to brew out of the the engine. Mm -hmm. And we're like in complete shock. Like what the fuck is going on? Before we could even, you know, collect our wits, some guy comes out of that house and he starts yelling at us because he thinks we started the fire in his tow truck. So we book it, we run, we run down, further down that street. When you do that... The, the quickest way to get off that street, there's an alleyway. And the alleyway leads up to the back of that elementary school, that grade school. Mm. So we did that. We took that quick left, made it to the back of the school, 
And again, there's a concrete stoop that's about three feet high. So you, you can either just jump on the stoop or climb the little bit of stairs that are there to get to the actual school. And we did that. And we're walking around the next block, which is the side of the school that is uh, opposite my house or my apartment. So we're walking on that side. And the further we get towards, uh, the further we get away from the tow truck, we are also getting towards the front of the school where the main playground area is, and also my house. And the closer we get to that, we hear screeching wheels from a car, like it's getting closer. And mm-hmm. we're like, okay, not you know, it's 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 background noise. It's nothing to worry about at this point. But then, this car comes zooming by on the street, like fucking doing. I don't know, 50 or 60 down a residential street. So, yeah, we can't help but take notice. And not long after that, a car following them, doing the same speed, only this time, there's a guy hanging out of the passenger side of the vehicle with a sawed-off shotgun. (laughs) And he is actively firing shots at this other car, which happens to have turned, made a left onto the street that is in front of us, meaning... Me, my best friend, and my cousin are caught in the fucking crossfire. So immediately we hit the fucking playground, <laughs> make ourselves as skinny to the ground as possible, and we wait for the gunfire to blow over. Now, as this is all going on, my best friend happens to look up because he heard something get hit with a bullet. And lo and behold, it was an aluminum trash can. And when the trash can got hit, It fell over on its side, and guess what comes out of the trash can? The fucking cat. And it was at that moment we all looked at each other, collected our thoughts, and we're like, you know what? It is time to go home and inside to the safety of our our respective residences at the time. We will never talk about this ever again. Let's just drop it. We're going to go on with our lives. But every Friday the 13th for like the next 10 to 15 years after that, you could not get me out of the house. I would not go anywhere. I missed dates. I missed events with friends. Uh, <laughs> sometimes work. I fucking forget about it. You could not get me out of that house for a long, long time. So, yeah, that's my Friday the 13th story. See, I knew I wouldn't be able to top it, so that's why. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, this is not, obviously this is not the first time I've heard this story. And I'm glad you shared it with everybody. So, if I'm not mistaken, you wrote a paper... I did. This, right? I I, uh, I I had no idea what to write. It was junior year. I had no idea what to write for. I was in honors English, so I write this paper about what happened and what I did over summer vacation. Uh, essentially, yeah, um, more died. more or less, and, and <laughs> yeah. So I I write exactly what happened. I was arrested for arson. <laughs> <laughs> After class, the teacher pulls me aside and she's like, "Look." I appreciate you turning in the paper and things, but you don't have to lie (laughs) about what you did on summer vacation. Like, if you had a boring summer vacation, that's okay, Joseph, it's okay. And I'm like, no, lady, this fucking happened to me. Like, I refuse to go anywhere on Friday the 13th because of this bullshit. And she didn't believe me, and luckily my best friend at the time also in the same grade, just a different uh, homeroom. So one day we're leaving class, we're leaving school at the end of the day, and I said, come here, man, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to walk with me to my English class and tell this lady what happened. So he did, and her jaw dropped. She was like, 
She was still in shock, like, you seriously, this ha-? And he's like, yeah, lady, I rolled my ankle, I got shot at, this fucking cat wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> she was just, she was so apologetic, she's like, I am so sorry, I thought he was just making this up. But yeah, she, that, true story. She, even even after that, she still had a hard time fucking believing it. It was crazy. Crazy like Pamela Voorhees. Pamela Voorhees slapping uh, actresses on on set. <laughs> as, as you were talking, out the the scene where she's slapping her around comes on, and I was like, "That's <laughs> that's hilarious to me." But um, real quick here, she gets her head chopped off. Toothpicks and all. You see the Tooth, toothpicks? Yeah, toothpicks and all. Look at those look at those bones right there. It was like something you put in your teeth. But um, no, they're actual toothpicks. I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I know. I know oh, they, they might not know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when Pamela Voorhees has her head cut off, you can see what look like are supposed to be bones, I guess. Yeah. But it's actual toothpicks, and Tom Savini rigged it that way so that when the head did come off, it came off in however he wanted it to come off, as opposed to <laughs> like leaving chance to the wind. So real quick here. I don't want to get too far off the original Friday Thirteenth here, but again, let's go back to Halloween. Halloween had Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. For those who <laughs> never seen that movie, it's a it's a pretty decent movie on its own right. The problem is is that it was a movie that used the Halloween name and didn't have Michael Myers. That was a big no no. Well, everybody expected it. Everybody so. expected, and, and rightfully so. But yeah, well, that's... especially if you're gonna call it Halloween three, you're not advertising that he's not in there. You're not advertising that he's in there. But at any rate, you have you have the idea where you know we don't need Halloween could be bunch of different halloween themed storylines using the the halloween banner yeah approach it as an anthology anthology i couldn't i couldn't think of the name thank you (laughs) so what if would it have worked if again you have this movie friday 13th we're talking about just the first one if they were to say what if we took friday 13th and made an anthology series would that have worked better for them than halloween because you didn't have an established killer in in jason Voorhees? Obviously, Pamela Voorhees is dead. Do you think it would have worked better? Not, well, not that I don't want to say better because obviously the franchise has done very well for itself. But do you think it would work better than Halloween Three did because you didn't have the the established killer? You didn't have the established storyline yet. This is a tricky question for okay. for a number of reasons. Typically, that's what I do. <laughs> typically, you have anthologies perform to critical acclaim. Yes. If they're good, as opposed to just out and outright popularity. And I'm okay with that. As a moviegoer and a lover of horror, I'm okay with that. But there are a lot of people that aren't. It saddens me because I think a lot of awesome stories and films that are done as anthologies are kind of looked over and just kind of like passed over and not given the the proper attention that they might deserve. I think they still would have made money if they were done correctly. But that's a big if because let's face it, we're here in the 80s, the early 80s at this point yes. when the sequel comes out in what, 83 I believe? I want to say so, yeah. So around 83, Friday the 13th Part 2 comes out. If this was another installment in a horror anthology... It was actually 81. 
Okay, yeah. so 81. Either way. So you have you have part two coming out in 81. If it comes out as a horror anthology, if done correctly, I still think it not only is, is in the black of the box office, but I also think it's not as popular as what the franchise inevitably put out and that we see today. So the better route, in, in, your, in your opinion, is Jason Voorhees? In a financial sense, yes. Okay. Other than that, no. I would I would have loved to for them to have taken that and ran ran the ball as as a horror anthology. That's really fucking interesting. Well, because and the reason why I asked that again, as we all know, Halloween three was at that time when when it really was released, it was a major flop. Yes. We go look back at it now after all these years, and it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this movie's not all that bad. And it's not. No, it's, it's not. A, it's a solid horror movie. The problem is you're in the early 80s. You just came off of, again, 1978's Masterpiece, and then Halloween 2, which, was, again, was, was a very solid movie in its own right. You have this idea of, okay, well, Michael's dead. You go back to Halloween 2, Michael dies in a fire done he's done it's over with we're gonna continue on with his name and, and everything again i don't want to go too far in, too deep into it but let's look at it this way let's say halloween the original halloween came out in 2008 we now in the midst of the smartphone era where the internet is in the palm of our hands you know things are not kept secret very long you know we pretty much know plots of movies before we ever go see them nowadays that's Does, unfortunate yeah but does it work this time now? If people know I think so. Michael Myers is not going to be in this movie. I think so. Does it work? I think it still works. In case in point, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, but not kind of the same thing. You have a horror anthology series in Masters of Horror, which came out around that time, if I'm not mistaken. I love love that. And, love and, Masters, of and Masters of Horror is is a very successful horror anthology series. One of the last. Yeah. You know. And 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 again, the, people knew about it in advance. Yeah. All the information was out there on the internet and it still did very well. So yes, I think it still works. And then at this point then we probably see the the, the end of Michael Myers at least at least for the foreseeable future because we well, don't need him anymore. And I think that's that's the troubling part for me when I asked this question to you was with Friday Thirteenth. If we do an anthology series, well, that means we don't. Get, we probably don't get Jason Voorhees, and that's again, that's all in hindsight now, of course. But so that's why I have to go back to you know, let's say nineteen eighty or nineteen eighty one, early nineteen eighty one, when it's getting pitched to, to Sean Cunningham, and they pitched that to me. I you know, oh, we're gonna go with Jason Voorhees route, or we're going to an anthology series. I'm probably say. Fuck that Jason Voorhees thing because it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Go the anthology route and let's make a brand new story and let's knock it out of the ballpark. Something fresh, something new. Yeah. But then again, it's like, you know, Crystal Ball, looking at Crystal Ball and says, this Jason Voorhees guy, there's something special about him. I don't know what it is quite yet, but there's something special about him. But it's an interesting thought of, of the, the what could have been. What could have been, yeah. You know, and the same thing goes for Halloween. It, again, is it just a product of the times? Wait, and, as far as, far as the, the strength of characters... In, in a general sense, whether you're whether you're part of a franchise or an anthology, the more effective the character, the more likely you're going to see more of that character, whether you want to as a fan or not. I'm trying to think what that show is. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. CSI. Okay. The, the, the original CSI, so the one that takes place in Las Vegas. Yeah. 
They do it, I don't remember what season it is, but they do an episode where there you have this um, Hollywood celebrity who who's like from the heyday of Hollywood and she's retired and she lives, I believe she lives by herself and she's getting accosted by this guy and he is, he's, um, he's very flexible, he's very skinny, he's dressed in all leather, almost almost all of the gimp from Pulp Fiction. And he is going around killing people by basically hiding in really fucked up places. And it is such a bizarre episode. That is one episode that always sticks out to me. Like, damn, I want more of that character. (laughs) But you don't get it. It's a one-off. It's a a one-off episode. I don't even think they catch him. Right. Which makes it all the more appealing. Like, holy shit, they never really caught him. He's still out this, there. He's, he's still out there. <laughs> I'll yeah. never forget, there's a scene in there where this lady and her, like, eight-year-old daughter are in a car wash. So they're still in the car, right? So they go in, and then, you know, the, the, the track, the car gets on the track, and it's being pulled by the track now. The, you know, the lady's not driving the car, and she's just kind of going through the motions as all the suds are coming up and stuff. And this guy had somehow folded himself in the back of her <laughs> station wagon so that he Shit. couldn't be seen. And he comes out, and, like, you see him unfold himself. And he goes to abduct the little girl, and he killed, he kills them. And you're like, holy shit! <laughs> so when he shows up in That's this, nuts. so when he shows up in this lady's, um, this retired celebrity's home, I, I think he toys yeah. with her. He cuts her face, and then he like takes off. And I'm using air quotes here because he didn't really leave. The, what what ends up happening is he hides himself in the crime scene, and they can't fucking find him. So after they leave, I think that's how the episode ends. You see him. He's like he's like somehow like either underneath her bed or mm. in between the the box spring and the mattress or somewhere where someone normal wouldn't be able to fit. <laughs> and he is clearly like fucking alive and well and ready to fucking kill people again. And that is fucking horrifying. But it's it's the strength of characters like that, like done the right way. Even if even if we start the the anthology series with Jason Voorhees and then we go into other stories and other characters and we eventually come back to Jason Voorhees mm. if he was that strong of a character I think there would be nothing you could do to keep the interest on him from going away so if Jason Voorhees again done right done correctly even if he doesn't have you know 10 sequels or however long many there are you do one and then do again random movies random whatever continue on the anthology and bring him back does he is he still the the icon that he is today does that still work yes and because that character alone i i still think he becomes the icon and i say that because i i I know how fandom is these days okay and eventually he would have had merchandise put out with, you know, bearing his resemblance, whether it be a t-shirt or a vinyl figure or an action figure or what have you, that fandom would just grow. I mean, I'm not saying it would grow at the pace and level of growth that obviously Jason Voorhees, as it turned out, happened, right. but I still think it would grow and, and still become a thing, a very strong thing. You know, speaking of this, the only thing I can compare to what we're trying to get across here is Jeepers Creepers. Okay. You have three movies. They all feature that character. And although the the mythology is there, the thing come back comes back to feed every 23 years. That's just about it. You have, Each movie is a standalone story. And look at that. Look at that, friend. Yeah. I mean, it's he's still, you know, you still know who he is. 
he's still relevant in the horror community, good or bad. He's still being talked about. So yeah, it, it would work. It's just one of those interesting thoughts that we lived in an alternate universe. What could have been? What could be? You know, one thing I didn't do for this episode was look up fan fiction. And a lot of the times, I mean, let's face it, if we talk fan fiction, I mean, again, not like I'm a superb writer or anything, but let's be honest, anybody with a pen or, you know, Microsoft Word can try to pen something per se and a lot of it's just shit. It's just horse shit. And it doesn't make sense or is full of, of holes and, and things of that nature. So I didn't even bother. But it would be interesting. It would be interesting to see if there's a community out there on the web that knows knows some really good Jason Voorhees fan fiction. I'd be, I'd be up for that. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of growth of the character, in 1987, which was seven years after the release of the original Friday the 13th that we're talking about. There was an author, Simon Hawk, who produced a novelization of Friday the 13th. And one of the few additions to that book was Mrs. Voorhees, Pamela Voorhees, begging the Christie family to take her back after the loss of her son. And they agreed. Another addition in the novel is more is the more understanding more understanding in Pamela Voorhees' actions. And Hawk felt the character had attempted to move on when Jason died, but her psychosis got the best of her. So when Steve Christie reopened the camp, Mrs. Voorhees saw it as a chance that what happened to her son could happen again. And her murders were against the counselors because she saw them as all responsible for Jason's death. Similarly, a number of scenes from the film were recreated in Friday the 13th, Pamela's Tale, which was a two-issue comic book prequel released by Wildstorm Comics, which is now defunct. They were part of the DC brand Okay. back in 2007. In 2016, the book On Location in Blairstown, The Making of Friday the 13th, was released detailing the planning and filming of the movie. Again, you have Simon Hawk attempting to grow that character. Not necessarily Jason Voorhees, but Pamela. So... I think, again, if you do your due diligence and you write it the right way and produce it the right way, I think it works. How does the movie change for you with with all this, with those changes? I think it becomes more of like a psychological thriller than it does a slasher film, to be honest with you. I think it becomes less slasher and just more psychological. What do you thriller. rather watch at this point? It's hard to say, because I, I love psychological thrillers. Uh, you know, I just I just went and watched Hereditary, which is a hell of a good movie. And for those of you who don't get that movie, well, I'm sorry, you're, you're a dumbass. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Take the time. I mean, the internet is out there, folks. Use it. If you didn't understand it, fine. Go and go and figure out what you missed. But that I is, personally haven't seen it yet. It's so. an excellent fucking movie. Okay. But yeah, I think I think this still works as a psychological thriller, but only if it's the mother that is the main character and not Jason Voorhees. Right. I mean, even if he comes back as like a figment of her imagination, I still think he has to be utilized in the correct way. And it would be in a minor role compared to hers. I mean, let's face it, toward the end of the movie where she's talking to herself like as if she were her son. Right. That's fucking creepy. It is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know? I would have liked I would have liked uh, to see an angle of the movie a, a re-shooting of the movie where you have the growth of, of Pamela Voorhees instead of her being introduced so late in the film. I think it has more of an effect and as as we, we just mentioned with with Betsy Palmer and, and and how she portrayed the character, 
I think she would have done very well. And you would have gotten more of those creepy moments, too, with her battling herself. And it would have been a really interesting concept to, to go with that movie. And, you know, to kind of to kind of grow on that, the year that this movie came out, there was also another movie that came out called Ordinary People. Now, I've never seen that movie, but... Neither have I. Both of them, both of the movies were essentially about a boy drowning and the disastrous impact this has on all of the characters. And both of the movies also have a vindictive mother who unfairly punishes the people around her for her boy drowning. It'd be really interesting to go back and check that movie out just to see, to gauge the range of emotion that you could have in such a project. Also written by Victor Miller. That's not true, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> let's Let's go back really quick to Pamela Voorhees talking to herself. Here's something that, that this was... This was news to me. I'm sure it might be news to a lot of people, especially those who only know Jason Voorhees via meme <laughs> in our day and age, which is a complete fucking possibility, unfortunately. Yeah. But the composer of the soundtrack for this film is Harry Manfredini. He is quoted as saying, contrary to popular belief, the famous is actually not that. Actually, he used a... I forget the name of the device. It's a, some sort of synthesizer or musical machine. Okay. I want to say it's called like a, a, an ethoscope or ectoscope, something like that. He wanted he wanted the, mu- the movie's music to have purpose and only show up if the killer was on the screen to make things more suspenseful, a little more involved. Case in point, the part early in the movie where uh, the one camp counselor who's joking around, he takes bow and arrow and shoots the bow and arrow at a female camp counselor and narrowly misses her when he easily could have fucking hit her with the, with the, the arrow. There's no music. Right. It adds to the effect. It really, it really fucks with you, especially your first time around. But that was all on purpose, and that was due to Hen, Henry or Harry Manfredini. And going back to the... He actually used that specific machine by, uh, he, he would go on to use it and he would actually record the consonant sounds from kill, 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 mom, mom, mom. So instead of ch it's actually if you guys can hear that. <laughs> that is supposed to be playing out in Pamela Voorhees' mind. So that was news to me for the longest time. I mean, because nobody ever corrected me. And I never bothered to look it up because it's like one of those things like, well, everybody knows that it's... Yeah. You know? Well, it sounds so much like it. It does. I, I've known that for a while. Uh, I, I want to say I learned that actually from the Return to Camp Crystal Lake documentary. Yeah, I, I barely watched that recently for the first time. I want to say that's where I got it from. But yeah, I, it's it was really it's a really cool idea. And it, again, it it's the subtlety of it happening only when the killer's on screen. And again, really pay attention to that because that's... Very, you brought up the really good point. It, the the bow and arrow scene. That's a near death scene right there, and it's just it just happens. But then when you hear that, it's just like 
oh shit, something's got to go down. That you know what? That's always been a major gripe about movies, especially horror movies, and the usage of music to cue events. For me, there's a lot of movies and just television shows and whatnot that just misuse music all of the time. There, there, there's like so much wasted opportunity to fucking scare people for something that's supposed to be scary, and it's because they they can't get the composing, uh, you know, filmed right. It's it's yeah. frustrating. You know, again, ladies and gentlemen, just just get over the fact that I'm a huge Halloween fanboy. <laughs> Bring it up again, the original Halloween and only the original Halloween movie where it's the that that sound that the That right there still is enough to send chills down my spine after all these years. Again, utilized correctly and and Let's face it, compared to our original Friday the 13th here, much more usage of music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a John Carpenter movie. (laughs) So, obviously, I I have a little bit of beef with the use or misuse of compositions on soundtracks for, for movies, especially horror movies, but body count. Body count in this movie is 11. That includes the snake. I'm going I'm to count the snake. Where, where does that gauge with you? Is that too too many, too little, too much, not enough in the way of, of, of dead uh, <laughs> dead camp counselors or, or dead camp members? Uh, I mean, you're counting the snake. I mean, it's fair. It's, it's dead. Um, <laughs> And you're counting the the killer, which doesn't always happen. That doesn't usually doesn't count. That's true. So yeah, that's one that's one of the rarities there. I don't. This is gonna be such a cliche answer, but if handled correctly, I I don't I don't think count such a a, a bad thing. Again, keep in mind, two of them also take place in 1958. Yeah, so, so it's quite a, quite a bit of ways apart. You know, and and this movie takes place in 1979. So you know, now you're talking nine minus the killer, mm-hmm. minus the snake seven. That's not bad. Okay. That's I think that's a pretty fair number. They were I think the the, the space was I guess that's my only gripe was that the space was a little, handled a little. It kind of all happened back to back to back to back to back. The spacing of the killing wasn't handled as well as I would have liked it per se. But other than that, I don't think the count is too high. When it comes to counts, can it be? You can have it too low or too. You can have it too high. It's just one of those things where it depends on what you're trying, the message you're trying to convey. In this case, you're going through all these counselors. So if you're going to have X, Y, and Z amount of characters, and that's your goal, your end game is to go through all of them, kill them all. I, I don't, I don't see a problem in what they did. Again, spacing was my only issue. Okay. And again, it's not a huge issue in this case. True. I, yeah, I'll give you that. I, as far as the spacing apart, uh, it's give or take for me. I agree. You know them doing it back to back to back. I'm I'm not that big of a fan of, and that go not just for Friday the Thirteenth, but like any movie, right? Unless it really makes sense. And for this, I'll I'll, I'll let it slide. This was you know the first of its kind, and as, as we see, <laughs> the gullible Annie over here. In Annie's neck, you can tell. I mean, you can tell the she's clearly got the fake neck going. It's it's discolored. It doesn't look like her skin at all. She's a weird tanner. Yeah. (laughs) 
Speaking of body counts, let's let's talk about the ending of this film. So obviously Sean Cunningham, he was he was trying to copy the end of Brian De Palma's Carrie based off of the Stephen King novel. Yes. So what we ultimately see on screen is an ending that is supposed to be a dream where Alice gets attacked by Jason Voorhees in the boat on Crystal Lake. That was supposed to be a dream. Not feature Jason Voorhees truly coming back. Obviously the franchise is now, you know, alive and well and it's it, it's happened whether we wanted to or not. But originally he's not supposed to come back. And so Sean Cunningham has this big issue with, with them doing it to his, his project and he basically bows out of the second one. I don't want anything to do with it. I wanted to ask you how does this change the movie for you? If if we go back and we redo this as in in Sean Cunningham's vision, where there is no Jason coming back, what does this movie become? How does it change the movie? For I think you? it makes it better. It makes a better ending because there's no need to have. Look, okay, I get horror movies always have this open ended, all hope is lost mentality, and I'm a fan of that. Me too. I don't think it works here. I, I just, I, I don't because here you have a character that's barely mentioned. Yes, he's he's the sole reason why Pamela is doing what she's doing. But other than the fact that we know that he's dead. And we know that he's the the reason behind everything. That's all you needed to know from Jason. You know, you bring in a care. You know, the the the, the Carrie incident, the, the Carrie ending. I should say not incident ending. That's impactful because Carrie's the main character of the movie. You got to know Carrie. You got to feel what Carrie was feeling. You got to feel the rage of Carrie at you know, and then that that great scene at the end. You don't get that with Jason. Jason is just this random, disfigured-looking character at the end, and it's almost like well, the first time that I saw that. And keep in mind, I this is one of those movies that's really weird for me because I actually didn't see the original Friday Thirteenth until my late teens. Okay. So I was you know compared to. Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Halloween, where I was, you know, a, a very young, you know, elementary level, early elementary level, I, I was more established in my thoughts, and and then I when I first saw it, I just looked at it and it's like that that was fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it was an unnecessary ending to me. To me, it was it was not an ending at all because it left it so wide open, but so damn confusing, where. You have this idea of let's do the all hope is lost, but it doesn't make any sense. The reason why all hope is lost, because I have no idea what the hell just happened. That's the reason why all hope is lost, because there's no rhyme or reason behind it. So I th- I like the idea of taking that out and not having it in there. Because, again, it's, it's just one of those things where you have to have a little more character development to do something like that. You have to have a reason to come out and say, well, we're going to continue. This guy's, this kid's alive. Why the fuck do I care? <laughs> Why the fuck do I care? This this disfigured looking kid. What what's the big deal about him? I I I truly agree with you. I think the only thing that would work for me in this situation, if we have to keep him in there, keep it a dream. You know, she's clearly distraught after everything that's happened. We see her passed out on the boat. Keep it a dream. You know, he comes out of the water, but she wakes up from it. You know, she's clearly affected by the dream. They never find the boy. That's fine. I get all that. Let's leave that. But keep it a dream. And then when you come back for the sequel, why can't you do something like, you know, they never found the body. It creates this whole mythology. You do it years later, so there's time for 
natural progression of that mythology to build, now you have one or two generations of camp goers who have heard about the boy who never had, had never been found. And then you can continue on that horrific legacy of this boy and who drowned there and you know, maybe he haunts them now. And, you know, that yeah. would that would make a hell of a lot more sense than than what they actually did as we see a, a still photo of him in the water. Two things. First of all, I, and I, I don't know if I'm even pronouncing his name correct, but uh, Ari Lemon, the original Jason Voorhees, mm-hmm. man, he really banks off of the fact that he was the original Jason Voorhees. I mean, oh yeah, I mean that's that's like everything to him because it's, I he's got a he's got a band called Jason. He's like that typical guy that looks like he still lives in his mom's you know basement kind of thing. And I'm not trying to make fun of the guy, but it's just like, dude, get get over it. like you were. He is claiming that he's like the best Jason too. Well, he's made that claim. Well, you're gonna have to if you're if you're gonna go go all out. You you know, don't do it half-assed. So yeah, you. I mean, this is not the the only uh, the only actor that has has done that with their 15 minutes of fame. You know, but more importantly here, this is me in the in the director's chair here. So go ahead and bash me if you want, ladies and gentlemen. But you do the scene where Jason pops out of the water. And it's it's a, it's just a dream. She wakes up. It's just a dream. Body was never found, and almost have like the hills have eyes type ending where, the end of the movie you zoom out and it's like somebody's watching, but you don't expose who it is, and then you go into the sequel and you you realize it's it was Jason watching the entire time. Again, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Totally doable. I mean, something like that, where because that'll explain to me why the fuck he's he's like dead, <laughs> comes back to to life, and then ages, but then doesn't age anymore. Yeah, he just, yeah. That's... He just ages enough to become this big bulking adult, <laughs> and then that's it. Like if you're gonna age, then you know at this point you need to be old. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I just hate how Hollywood works. You're just gonna age just enough so it works for us. <laughs> that's not how it should work but it does that's how it goes the the film has been spoofed numerous times most notably in a film that came out in 1981 called Saturday the 14th <laughs> I have actually watched that movie I wish I had it in my movie collection okay. it's kind of hard to get a hold of Leslie Nielsen is in there okay I'm um, intrigued they <laughs> It's it's pretty over the top, hilarious. Typical Leslie Nielsen. One, yeah, one one scene I do remember is uh, you have a older teenage girl, maybe in her early twenties, taking a bath. Eventually, you see Gills, or, okay. or, or you know, like the creature from the Black Lagoon, and he does. He somehow manifests himself out of that small body of water in the bathtub and scares the hell out of her and I believe Leslie Nielsen plays Dracula in that one if I'm not mistaken so what? that movie sounds so familiar to me you might have watched it I they, might have they, watched they, it now. They, uh, they will show it on like cable television really uh, not all the time trust me it's a, it's a rare occasion but I have seen it on cable television every now and again for those of you who are wrestling fans again we are available at 20x20crew.com slash podcast here's, here's, a, here's a good tidbit for you Stampede Wrestling, based out of Canada, 
They were the first ones to introduce a wrestler called Jason the Terrible, who was played by Carl Moffat, and he wore the gimmick hockey mask, and he was billed coming from Camp Crystal Lake in the late, in the late 1980s, and that gimmick would later go on and be taken up in Japan and Puerto Rico by Roberto Rodriguez, and it's also been used by Tracy Smothers and other wrestlers. Sometimes they, they use it under the guise of Jason the 13th. I remember, I still have, I think I still have the footage on DVD somewhere of an FMW show in Japan, which is pretty hardcore wrestling, mm-hmm. where they do have a Jason character. And uh, it gets pretty bloody. Big hulking guy, you know, mask and all, machete. I don't I don't know who to give credit for this, because it is done by a fan, if you will, but in the, a lot of newer video games, you are allowed to upload contents for free that, are, that users are able to download and use for the game. So in this case, it's the WWE 2K18 video game, and somebody made a really, really good Jason Voorhees on there. <laughs> nice. And, I mean, as expected, he's got, like, crazy, like, all-the-way rated stats. <laughs> super tall. Really fun character to play with. I've I, He's actually really frustrating to play play against, especially... I would imagine. I, I play on hard, the hardest mode. <laughs> and, yeah, he's... He's pretty damn hard, but yeah. So uh, there's another example of uh, Jason Voorhees in in, uh, in wrestling games. He's currently the uh, uh, Universal Champion. He beat Brock Lesnar. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit, somebody had to beat Brock Lesnar. <laughs> he was the guy. He was the guy. Roman couldn't do it. Roman couldn't oh, do it. Oh, there's so much shade right there. Uh, on February 3rd of 2009, Paramount Home Entertainment released Friday the 13th on an unrated, uncut home video version for the first time in the United States. All previous VHS, LaserDisc, and DVD releases were the rated theatrical version. It's available both DVD on DVD and Blu-ray disc now. The uncut version of the film contains approximately 10 seconds of previously unreleased footage. And in 2011, the uncut version of Friday the 13th was released in a four-disc DVD collection with the first three sequels. Then the Australia DVD Blu-ray release was released July 1st, 2009 and features commentary by Sean Cunningham, among several other bonuses. Again, that's what we were just watching. And that's what we were just watching, folks. Uh, We will have... A link to that if you don't own it, you could buy it through us, through our website, and help support the show at a asocietyoffandoms.site.site. Uh, we are also available on Twitter and Facebook. All that information is on our website at a asocietyoffandoms.site. That's going to do it for us here. We hope you enjoyed our Friday the 13th episode as we continue kicking off the podcast all month long. Please enjoy the other two episodes you will hear this month. After this month, we will go to one episode a month, beginning with a very super character. And that's all I'm going to say. So, until next time, go buy yourself some vinyl figures and some DVDs. And wax intellectual with the rest of us about your favorite fandom. What do you want me to say? You can say whatever you want. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Oh, um, I don't really know what to say. Hope you enjoy the show. Thank Joe, thanks for having me on your special project here. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for being here. It's an honor to Thank be Thank you for to being talk. a fan. Hey, that's 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 all I am. If I'm nothing else, I'm nothing but a <laughs> but a fanboy, as people say. So it's a it's a really really honor to be part of this this podcast and to, to be able to talk about about things like this. So I hope I can do more with you. Excellent. And until next time, we'll see you.
Graham's Valley. It's all right now, Alice. It's all over. Everything's over. 